Welcome back to Everything All at Once, the podcast where we blend the chaotic life of our early 20s with some of the neuroscience and psychology behind it. It is Francesca, and let's get into it. Another week, another socially draining (laughs) time. I mean, I don't know if you could hear me. There was a hurricane warning. So far, smooth sailing. Uh, There's a lot of wind but nothing that we can't handle, nothing that we can't surpass. So we'll let the partying commit tonight. Commence? Commit. Commence tonight. Uh, If you can't tell, I'm just genuinely exhausted. I'm trying to do laundry right now, and there are currently two washers and two dryers per this entire apartment building. I don't know whose bright idea that was, but we'll see how it works. This app is supposed to tell me what washer and dryers are available, but it just doesn't. I look up washers and nothing comes up. So you tell me what that is about. Having sweet green and solid core less than a mile away from me, so dangerous. I have absolutely no money. And yet, what am I doing? I got myself the most random salad last night. I'm telling you, I, I don't even know what I put in it. I got there and I was just confused and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I get? What do I get? So I put basically everything in there that made absolutely no sense together, ate it, and then completely shit my brains out this morning. Like there's nothing left in my body. I don't, do you hear that? The windows open in our bathroom because God forbid we get any air and the doors just slam, slam, slam all fucking day. Like, should I close the window? I don't know. I want air. Who knows? I don't now I'm thinking I should close it. And then, you know what's funny? Last week, it was so hot. I was stressing and I just randomly ordered another fan. The fan is currently sitting in the common room. I already have a fan in here and now I'm starting to freeze because it's not freeze, but I have like a nice chill in my room because it's cold. So if anyone knows how to return anything on Amazon, like I need an adult to do that. An adult needs to be here and I need somebody else to tell me what to do with the package that needs to be returned. I only make returns in person to stores and that's rarely because i feel like it's such a hassle to return something which is why i never ever shop online because now i have this fan and i I genuinely don't know how to return it maybe that's too much adulting for me at the moment we're just gonna have to keep it there and then also i was supposed to order bed razors so that my luggage can fit underneath my bed still haven't done that the luggage is just sitting in my room preventing my door from opening all the way it's super interesting interesting layout but the room has come together pretty well getting very settled in my classes which brings me to the topic of today's episode you know big friend groups versus small i feel that a lot of people have what i have deemed the term friend group insecurity and it's basically just a sense of feeling like you are unsure about your friend group size. Maybe you're used to a bigger friend group and now you've transitioned into having a smaller friend group in your life. Maybe it's the opposite. You grew up having a smaller friend group and then as you've gone through college, maybe you have formed this bigger friend group and you're not used to being around that many people all the time and so many people knowing the ins and outs of your life. There are so many avenues of this topic that I'm really excited to get into, which is very prevalent right now as when I said I was first transferring a lot of people said, I don't know how you're going to do it again. And I said, what do you mean? Do what? School? It's not that 
like I went through one year of school. I've been in school my whole life. Shouldn't be that bad. And they go, no, no, no. Making friends again. I didn't, I always knew that making friends was, it's a time commitment and no one talks about it because when you say, or in your mind, when you have a social life as a priority, that doesn't mean that you're out partying all the time. It means that you're getting and making the time in your day to have coffee with somebody or go to lunch with somebody in the middle of the day that normally you would be studying or doing work, but you're prioritizing making a connection instead because you need that in your life. It's really important in college to make friends and not be so lonely. Last year, a really big part of my dislike of my old school at first was the fact that I didn't prioritize making friends and friendships within the first quarter, which is basically the first three months. I was very focused on school because as we know, when I get stressed out, I just revert back to ways that I don't, I don't know. And that's just simply what happened. I basically just dove myself into school and a job and a volunteer opportunity and I did not focus on making friends. And I very much regretted that ever since. I think I really made my friends quarter two, but that's only because I put the time in. It's perfectly valid to make your social life a priority when it needs to be. If school is your priority all the time, something something is wrong because it shouldn't be or your job or an internship. If that's your top priority all of the time, there's no balance. School used to be my priority all of the time. My work and my volunteer that used to be my priority all the time and it led me to be very lonely because there's going to be Friday nights where you don't have work you don't have that opportunity because it's during the day and you're sitting there and you're watching people at your school go out or go to a thrift store, go out to dinner, like do fun activities that are happening in your college town. And you're going to look to your left, look to your right and realize that there's no one you feel comfortable going out with because you didn't make the time to make friends, get people's numbers, be the girl that just asks, hey, where's the bathroom? Even though you might know where the bathroom is. Or, hey, I missed this. Can I see your notes? Those little phrases are have what made me make some of my really good friends at, at my old school and some potentially really lasting friendships here, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being presumptuous. But I'm having a blast. But at the same time, I had to just take a break on Friday or yesterday. Because why else would I wouldn't be recording this ahead of time other than the day before it's supposed to be put out? (laughs) But yesterday, I just had to take a break because being the new kid on the block, it's fun for a little bit until I have to suddenly justify 80 times like when I, why I didn't like California, why I transferred There's such a negative stigma around transferring, and I'm really grateful that a lot of people I've met here don't see that, where I say I'm transferred and then I explain why, and instead of the normal response that is, oh, that must have sucked, to, wow, really good for you for realizing what you want. And I posted on the Instagram the other day, like, different people will hear, the right people will hear you differently, or something like that. And in that scenario, that's what I was trying to communicate, that when you tell somebody you know, a story or something about yourself and they elicit this response that either 
is nicer or more welcoming than you expected or just wasn't the stereotypical response, that's them hearing you differently. And maybe that's the budding of a connection. But I think a large part of our generation, like we want, we want it now. We want to make instant friends. We want to make lasting friendships, but we want it now. And it's just like dating. Not that I've done that at all, <laughs> but you can't, if the first date was really that bad or like the first coffee break date with somebody wasn't that good and you were like, I'm never going to go on a date with them again, like that's fine. But also, are you missing out on a potential connection because you're not willing to give it another try? Making friends is a very persistent effort. You need to constantly be putting yourself out there, which is exhausting and a lot of work. And in doing so, I've also found myself sort of more so last year than this year, but last year when I was making friends, I sort of compared them a lot to my experiences back home. I grew up in early childhood with a very small friend group. And then when I moved to the suburbs, I had a big friend group for the majority of the time growing up. I was just used to having a larger, like 10, 12 friend group toward the end of my high school experience slash the middle, more so the entire high school experience. The middle school was more so still a smaller group of four or five of us. But as I got to high school, I'm used to a big friend group and then having to start over and make that in college you find yourself just holding them to a pedestal and then maybe you find yourself even trying to place them with people you know at home like oh this person is so my friend Rebecca from back home like I need to be friends with her or oh my gosh you remind me of this girl Danielle that I love at home we need to be friends that's totally fine because we'll talk about the neuro chemistry and science behind how we make friends in the next segment but don't there's a difference between people who have a connection and people who you want to be friends with just because they remind you of your typical friend group and your friend group size back at home and that shouldn't be the case making friends is such a good opportunity to practice presenting yourself first of all practice not selling yourself but just if you can breathe while you're with them it's a real friend because some of the times when I'm meeting people I'm like I didn't breathe for a whole hour obviously I did but it when I left I was like oh my god why did why did I just hold my breath that entire time because it was stressful and it shouldn't be that way and that's just that's a little bit of a life update slash getting into my life experience with friendships and friend group size and security. But first, before we get really, really into the neuroscience behind it, let's do a hot minute. So much pop culture going on, so let's get into it. A hot minute, a hot minute, whoa, whoa, yeah, theme song still in the works. But another week, another hot minute. Let's get started. Timothy Chalamet and Kylie Jenner. I don't even remember if I addressed this last week because there was just speculation, but they made their debut at the US Open. Wow. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming for the life of me. Did I? Why can for the life of me not remember if I addressed this last week? No, yeah, I did. He was with, they were together at Beyonce. 
And now they're at the US Open. So we're continuing the PDA. We're continuing showing the love. I think it's great. That's all I have to say. I think it's great. But it's funny how suddenly when the Kardashians, any of them, get a boyfriend, they just take all their makeup off. Literally. Literally, Kylie Jenner, her makeup has been very, very, very natural, which we're not used to. And then the same with Kim, same with Chloe, just more footage of them or photos without makeup. And it's like they just become a completely different person or they sort of start to adapt habits of the person they're seeing, which is natural. I feel like we all do that. But still, it's just very amusing to watch online. It's like, mm, why? Also, I know her lips are smaller now, but like Timothy Chalamet's have to be like paper thin. Like that guy, I saw a picture of them where like she was in a bikini and he was in a swimsuit. And I was thinking to myself, holy balls, that kid is like a toothpick. And Kylie Jenner's like a woman. Like, oh. And he is literally a, a twig. Not justice for all the twig men out there. Justice. Because you know what? Twig kings unite, okay? Maybe, I don't know. It just It doesn't make sense to me looking at it. And like personality-wise still. But I think it's still adorable. And... Every Kardashian has their awkward, lanky white boy phase. Am I right? <laughs> Chloe, we're looking at you next. Anyways, Olivia Rodrigo released her new album, Guts, along with a Rolling Stone cover. I'm pretty sure I saw that online. Guts, I have a lot to say about. Um, first of all, what is her beef with Taylor Swift? Because... Olivia denies, denies, denies in all of her press release. And Taylor, her PR team's on top of the game, okay? She's not going to act like there's anything wrong. She's not going to act like there's anything wrong. Is there something wrong? I don't want there to be anything wrong between the two. At the same time, what is going on? Maybe sometimes I wish I was Perez Hilton. Not, not, not wish that I was him, but it's how does he find out so much about these people? How does he know so many so it's just crazy to me people like that the pr people the pr teams on this quote-unquote beef gotta be working overtime we need the pr team that's on pickleball to be on the pr team that's covering you know literally everything and we need in addition the pickleball team pr and taylor swift pr team they're working side by side they are putting in the work no scandal is going to drop this week. And I guess we'll never know the, what the situation is. But Guts, I feel like it's more so a sour part two, which I feel like by the album covers, you can tell that it's kind of sort of a mirror album. But I feel there's definitely more angst to it. And I kind of like that. I liked Brutal. I like Get Him Back. Bad Idea, right? So, so. All American Bitch, I have to admit, I love it. Uh, love is embarrassing. Pretty isn't pretty. I feel like the lyrics are very much overdone. Like, we've heard the message, like, what do you do when pretty isn't pretty enough? It's just a new way of saying it. I feel like it was more on sour. And there was just, I don't know. I feel like we could have done better. Who am I to say? Like, we could have done better. It's a good song. It's a great song. What's the, oh, there's this one line 
We both drew blood, but our scars were never equal. Oh, I don't know what song that is from, but because I can't think right now. Jesus, that is amazing. That that just sums up like, oh my God, stop playing. <laughs> don't copyright me. That is a gorgeous lyric. 10 out of 10. I'd say go listen to it if you haven't. And I'm super excited. Oh, Odessa with new music. Now I'm just streaming my Spotify. Odessa so good. Also 10 out of 10 recommend. Well, that brings me also to the VMAs. I didn't watch the VMAs. Obviously, I was too busy doing homework, but I'm definitely going to watch it this week. What did I hear about them? Not not much monumental other than the fact that like Taylor Swift had this mega moment with NSYNC and NSYNC is reuniting for the Trolls movie. Poor Justin Timberlake. I, I mean, I don't know poor Justin Timberlake. Like he, oh my gosh, this brings me to Aston Kutcher, Mila Kunis. Oh, hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. Justin Timberlake is like very beloved and then all the Britney stuff came out and now the video with him cheating came out and now he's like, oh, I'm going to do the Trolls movie and get NSYNC back together. Like, they can't hate me now. And there was a video with him interacting with Megan the Stallion where it looked like Megan was, like, annoyed, but she's just very theatrical when she talks, I think. And he's like, God, like, I can't win with these people. I, I can't win. Like, that's what I mean. The pickleball PR team needs to be on Justin Timberlake. And also, Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher defending, oh, what is his name from that 70s show who was arrested for, I'm, you know what? Let me let me look this up before I keep talking. Uh, that 70s. See, this is too much admin for me to look that up before. I'm just going to look up that 70s show, Jail. Yes, Danny Madison, that 70s show actor, was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison after being convicted of rapes of two women two decades ago. Jesus. Well, can't argue with that. But then Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher released statements trying to get his sentence lightened saying that that's not the man he used to know and that's not the guy they know that's not how i was on set etc etc and they're getting so much backlash for it mila kunis and ashton kutcher are one of my favorite celebrity couples so to see them support this it's a little bit disappointing i don't think that this guy is who he says he is danny i think he should be in jail based on all of the evidence and I can understand where they're coming from and trying to help a friend. Actually, I can't. I can't understand where they're coming from. I don't know why they would do that. Very confusing to me. He should be in jail. And they have kids. And Ashton Kutcher literally has a charity. I think it's called Thon that helps prevent human trafficking and making sure kids are safe. So that isn't adding up. And now they're getting a lot of backlash. It's really disappointing my new favorite celebrity couple is now Ryan Reynolds and oh my god why am I why was I about to say Serena Williams um Blake Lively they've always been the fave but now they're tip top and then speaking of Justin's Justin Bieber and SZA just released the acoustic version of Snooze oh my god go listen if you haven't that's all I'm gonna say about that just go listen and then lastly on the pop culture front Unwell launched Alex Cooper's business or podcast studio with Madeline Gray and Alex Earl. Alex Earl's show titled Hot Mess is set to release, I'm pretty sure, September 27th. Don't quote me on that, but 
it's going to be interesting. It's like there was a infographic or infographic. There was a graphic that I saw and it said what happens after she's done getting ready. Like are you fucking kidding me? I I'm hating to hate because I'm jealous. Like oh my god. This girl, what does she have? I think I speak for everyone when I say what does she have that I don't have besides tits and the fact that she's blonde and knows how to do her hair. Boom boom boom. You know what? Once I figure that out, everybody watch out. That's all I got to say. I don't hate though. I don't hate I love women supporting women, as Hannah Burner says. I love M.H. DeSorbo and Giggly Swad, women in the arts. I am a big supporter of women in the arts. So, you know what? Not to be a hater, I'll take a listen. And I'm excited, actually, to see where Alex's company goes. And then I know her husband, or her fiancé, just launched a new movie on Netflix. I'll watch it. It looked, it started Haley, oh, how do you pronounce it? Haley Lou? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And that looks kind of good. And then I was also watching Theater Camp. I thought Theater Camp was going to be a lot funnier than it actually is. Theater Camp is basically, why can't I remember? It was starting the, starring the girl from The Bear. And, oh, fuck. I'm literally blanking on everybody's name. This is why I should do more preparation and write these things down. <laughs> but I thought Theater Camp was going to be a lot funnier than it is. If anybody has any movie wrecks, I just finished oh, Selling the OC, the biggest pop culture moment of the week. Selling the OC, the new season dropped. Kind of repetitive because the storyline, spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched it, just skip ahead to, like, literally another two minutes. But... Basically, the whole premise or drama of the show is Alex Hall and Tyler, like, maybe hooking up. And then at the end, they just get together anyways. And they're, like, denying it the whole season. And then they finally get together. But then he also hooked up with Polly. And then there wasn't really much, I don't know. They opened up a Cabo office. That's really cool. The houses there are gorgeous. But I was kind of disappointed in the season's drama because it was the same shit literally every episode i wanted something new i was listening to chicks in the office and now i am tempted to watch real housewives of atlanta per fran and ria's request but enough that is that is all i have for pop culture this week uh if you want more on pop culture news go to chicks in the office they're pretty (laughs) not not sponsored not a plug but also just a podcast i like listening to and if anybody has any music or movie recs dm me at everything all at once pod because i'm really looking for some new ones anyways let's get into the topic of today's episodes more so the psychology how do we make friends how do we decide who to befriend why are we so insecure about our friend group size how do we find people with similar neural pathways as us that leads us to be friends and why are we so prone to drawing ourselves toward larger friend groups and how do we and why do we feel lonely in a crowded room? All of that and more coming up next. My experience with romanticization, who who is not a little delusional? I love the trend. I love that being delusional is a trend. That's one social media concept that's being thrown around that I'm going to hop on that train and ride it all the way back home because it's not life is not fun. If you're not a little delusional about guys, about whatever, I say guys because that's the only thing I can think of that I am constantly delusional about and I know every other girl is with me because why not? Why not and who isn't? 
when something comes with great anticipation, I am often romanticizing. For example, when I was going through the transfer process, I was glorifying a life that was not UCI. I was romanticizing it, if you will. And before school starts, everybody romanticizes school a little bit. The new school supplies, laying out the folders. We don't do that anymore because everyone just has a computer and an iPad. And I miss those days. So I went and bought myself highlighters and a few colored pens because I wanted that feeling again of just some sort of new school supply. But regardless, I find myself romanticizing the most when I feel stuck in my own life and I want to escape a little bit. Another example, when I was going through surgery, I romanticized running a lot and built it up to be this great activity that brought me joy every single time, that made me feel good every single run, when in reality, that's not the truth. Every run wasn't my best run, and I didn't leave every run feeling amazing. Sometimes I felt tired. Sometimes I didn't want to run. But because I felt stuck physically, but also mentally or career-wise, stuck in any aspect of life, I built up the something I could not have. We all encounter the little things edits on social media. What I mean by this is it'll just be like a nice little aesthetic song, the phone, like glancing over a nice coffee, and it's just like romanticizing you grabbing a coffee. And what I mean by romanticizing is just showing extra appreciation for little things. For example, the coffee is a little thing. Being at the cafe is, some would say, a little thing. Showing more gratitude for things that aren't genuinely shown or generally shown gratitude because they're not big moments in life. And I find it interesting that our generation has strayed away, if you'd say, from putting weight on giant life moments. For example, less and less people find value in getting married anymore. And we are putting a lot of our value and appreciation on quote-unquote little things that some would consider our generation just romanticizing everything. And that is a whole topic in itself that I would love to dive into. But today we're going to hone in on studying and the glorification that social media has brought to learning and school. First, before we can get into that, what is romanticizing? Obviously, I wouldn't be credible if I didn't tell you the quote-unquote definition. It is believing something is better or more interesting or more exciting than it really is. The word and the practice originally comes from Buddhism, rooted in this idea that it is your choice, a religious path, and it's a matter of taste and whatever makes you feel good, feel at peace, or whatever is whole at the moment that is valid to you. It also evolved and can be in the category of positive psychology, the concept of savoring where we intentionally attend to the present experience and specifically focus on internal or external stimuli exclusively relating to positive things. So positive psychology is a field in psychology that's not based on mental illness or disorders, etc., but it's on how our brain processes and can practice being positive. Which brings me to why. 
why do we romanticize certain aspects of life? Why does our brain, why have you been, first of all, why do we romanticize it all? Why are we more honed in on certain moments? And why especially school? And what effect does this have on school? Like I mentioned, I romanticize and find myself romanticizing a lot when I feel very stuck in life, physically, mentally, career-wise, etc. We romanticize generally when we are on a quest to find happiness or fulfilling in our fulfillment in our lives, when we are not satisfied with a central part of our identity and we're seeking change. Ergo, when I was in California and I wasn't satisfied with a fundamental part of my identity, which is school. And I don't say school is in the grade. I say school is in, you know, where I'm living, what's around me, etc. And I'm seeking change. With that change comes new opportunity. And it is very easy to glamorize other jobs, other careers, other workout classes, other aspects of life, because we've explored this concept before that it is in our nature to want what we can't have. And especially when we are in moments of desperation and extreme loneliness, does this need for something better cloud our judgment? We may feel ready to take major leaps in life when we actually aren't. I read a story about a woman who was going to study medicine and she saw this beautiful law building and saw students and just became obsessed with essentially the glorification of academia, switched her whole profession, became a lawyer. And that's a very extreme case, but it brings me to my point where we are quick to invest emotional capital and effort into something that is most times not worthwhile. She mentioned that she would go back and continue her medical career had it not been for her dissatisfaction in her current career and then that causing her to take a large leap into a field that maybe she wasn't ready for or wasn't right for her. How does romanticization impact academic culture, learning, etc.? While I did make light of aesthetic school supply videos, they're always catching my eye. It always leaves me to strive for a level of perfectionism when it comes to grade in school, grades in school that is unrealistic. You know, I've seen a lot of study schedule videos that lay out a perfectly drawn out schedule where it's like 10 hours, but it's so spread out throughout the day. And to me, that makes no sense because I study in chunks, but I'm very easy to just write that in my calendar and jump right in. And because I want that aesthetically looking schedule and I want, you know, all my pens in a row, ducks in a row, get it? I don't know why I said that, but I want that aesthetically pleasing study life. I am not one to not romanticize at all. Lately, everybody who knows me knows that going to coffee shops, I study best when I'm around a busy environment and the coffee shop is nice to look at and I get a nice drink that was way too expensive and I swoosh it around and I set it down and I set all my books out and it's grind time. I'm like, look at me. I'm the main character. I'm studying in somewhere that's not a dingy library. I'm getting the job done. But not only has these romanticizations promoted perfectionist tendencies and brought out that maladaptive mindset of being perfect in school in me, but it can also lead anyone toward comparison and set 
productivity standards that are not realistic right out of the gate. TV, I say social media, but even TV, Hermione Granger, Rory Gilmore, are paragons of academic performance and overcommitment and are not realistic. It's not realistic for somebody to do 80 clubs and work a job and just know everything in a book. I'm watching Suits right now. Mike Ross just memorizes everything. That's That can cause somebody to romanticize academia. Hell, I said last episode, I'm watching Suits and it makes me want to study. Why? Because I'm, I'm just prone to thinking that if I study, I can reach that level. Okay, well, social media TV, it's not real. These picture-perfect moments of academia, they are not real. And when we allow them to inch their way into the goals that we have set, then what what are we doing? Because that's just going to, if anything, set us back in our goals. Because say I set, I set this goal for myself to focus on growth mindset, to focus on using verbs to applaud my effort more than the graded reward, because I think that'll lead me to do better in school and have a better approach to learning in general. Now, I'm scrolling on social media. I see a bunch of videos where it's like an eight-hour study schedule and like all these A pluses. Suddenly, that, that's just out the window, right? Because I want to live this beautiful life of just succeeding in school by studying for 10 hours a day. First of all, that shouldn't be romanticized at all because it's not needed. Unless you are in medical school, law school, even then, yeah, medical law school, there's no reason for you to be studying 10 hours a day. Your brain cannot process that much information anyways. Please don't attempt it. Don't do it. I am one where I have to study for a long period of time without wavering focus. Did this happen overnight? No. No, it did not. That's just how I work. And I'm not going to post on social media my study schedule because I don't want to promote that pattern if it's not conducive nor healthy for somebody else. Romantization of these overcommitted and overachieving goals that these videos and this notion can set can not only promote comparison and increase our, our motivation to be perfect when that doesn't exist, but then it sets us up for failure in a way because these standards are so unrealistic that we're going to feel dissatisfied no matter what. There's always another perfect step or more to do. And this dissatisfaction can dismotivate you, hit your self-esteem when it shouldn't have to, and cause you to incorporate school in an unhealthy way to your identity. Not only that, but it can cause a very unhealthy work-life balance because I've been there. That being said, does romanticization of STEM and academia, does it truly make life easier? And there are pros and there are cons, so let's get into it. Like I said earlier, romanticization is a practice of positive psychology. Romanticization can help facilitate a supportive environment where you are more apt to learn. For example, me going to a coffee shop. That is my supportive environment where I am a little delusional, thinking I'm the main character, writing all my notes, but do I retain the most information for some reason? Do I feel more motivated when that, and that environment is my brain turned on? Yes. 
that can be attributed to romanticization. The practice of romanticizing can also serve as a form of mindfulness. I'd mentioned that it is positive psychology. And in a way, romanticizing academia and romanticization in general can be acting out of a gratitude journal. It's important to remember mindfulness is not doing nothing. I think that's a really big misconception when people think or hear of the word mindfulness, that it means doing nothing, sitting still, being in stillness, when in reality, having a blank brain is not practicing mindfulness. Mindfulness is about being aware and present with the world around you. And when we and our generation is prone to romanticizing the pens that I'm using to write, my handwriting, the way the light is reflecting on my skin, the way the light is reflecting on the pavement, the way that building is structured, you know, all these little things, you're being present in the moment and noticing things that you wouldn't have normally noticed if you were busy in an anxious cloud or you were on your phone or you were distracted in a way that you weren't present. When we're having these main character moments, we are aware of the beauty and are more attuned to our five senses around us, therefore practicing mindfulness. And in the long run, if we keep practicing it, practicing it can help reduce anxiety and depression. We find magic in mundane moments that is, again, essentially a form of gratitude. It can also serve as a way to reaffirm what you love and help you find new avenues to express your interest. For example, say I love, I love reading, right? Well, if I romanticize reading next to a brownstone, maybe I'm going to be more tempted to go and do that. And then that could lead me to find a new bookstore, which it did. And then now that is my new favorite bookstore in Boston. You never know where it could lead you. But with all these pros, keep in mind that this is romanticization of life in general. Romanticization of, in school as well. But when I say it can serve to reaffirm, reaffirm what you love to do, there are very few people in this world that love school, but it can help It can help motivate you. That's basically the one pro I want you to take away. Romanticization is good in the sense that it can help motivate you and make you more present whilst learning and feel like you're in a better environment to learn. And your memory retention and understanding may be reflected in that. That being said, there are a lot of cons. It is important to acknowledge the dark side of romanticizing. We have seen this with glorification of mental illness and depression, and I've seen too many videos glamorizing staying in bed or being sad all day, because if that's the course of action that you need to get through a funk because I've been there, by all means, go do it. But don't do it because it is quote-unquote trendy or aesthetic or I don't know why staying in bed all day would be trendy because you're upset. It's not. It shouldn't be a trend to be sad because I've been there. And it's not okay. And it shouldn't be romanticized at all. Same goes for the world of school and academics. It shouldn't be romanticized to study an unhealthy amount because, like I mentioned before, this can cause comparison, perfectionistic tendencies, when you may have never even developed those in the first place if you hadn't built up this notion of, if I study 20 hours a day, then I'm going to get the grade I deserve. And then when I get that grade back and it's not what I thought, there are two courses of action. You could either say, oh my gosh, like, I don't know why I thought this would work and sort of reflect on the steps that you took to study for that exam, or you can take it as a personal attack on your self-esteem and be less motivated to do school in the first place. 
TV and movies, while have been very helpful to raise awareness and promote conversation, unfortunately yields a different result in sensationalizing what it means to be mentally ill and anxious when it comes to school. You know, I find it really annoying that there's always a character that's quote unquote nerdy and always hitting the books and doing what they're supposed to do. And then they get into surprise, surprise, an Ivy League school when in reality, somebody can do all the work in the world and not get the result they want. And that person watching that show and has has glorified this life path when that all comes crashing down they have nothing because i've been there and i know what it's like to glamorize this this life of being in school and then working really really hard and studying the ways that i think i should be because i saw it somewhere deep on an instagram rabbit hole and then when i don't get the grade i want and didn't get into the school i want it's like what do i have because now i've what was once a little romantization was then internalized, set myself up for perfectionistic tendencies, unrealistic goals, and essentially set myself up to be failed because I didn't, I wasn't applauding the effort I was taking. I was just, it could also cause us to be very focused on the reward. Moving forward, I think there's a time and a place for romantization. I agree with a lot of the pros that romanticization in life is a form of mindfulness and it has genuinely helped me be more present in moments. And I definitely support the fact that it can be a form of gratitude and I gratitude journal and it's helped me put those gratifications that I set for the day physically into my life. But I don't support when it starts attacking my self-esteem and self-worth and with romanticization comes setting healthy boundaries so if there's anything i want you to take away from this it's that you have every right to romanticize those little coffee dates walks in the park painting at the beach but when it comes to school just you have to ask yourself is the study schedule i'm seeing in front of me really right for me or am i just obsessed with the a and do I really need to be stuck in a library for 10 hours? Does it mean that I'm not doing school if I'm not? You need to second guess these romanticized careers and think to yourself, is it really right for you? There are so, so, so many times I have second guessed my choice in career. Why am I in neuroscience? Before I went to my first neuroscience class, I was having a little a little breakdown about that. I was very questioning. I question why I went into, that's not medicine, it's more so research, but regardless, STEM field is hard. And it's one of the most romanticized portions of academia along with law, as I have found in my research. But I always ask myself, why? Why am I romanticizing? Why? why not why am I romanticizing? Oh my God. Welcome to the city life. <laughs> but why? Why did I choose this career? Because it looked good on paper? Because I just thought I was gonna be an episode of Grey's Anatomy one day? Why? But then I went to my first neuroscience class and I read the assigned reading in the textbook and I remembered why I chose this field and why I'm so fascinated with the brain and how it works and how it translates to our behavior and cognitive neuroscience, behavioral neuroscience, all areas of the field. 
I was reminded that I was interested in that. But that doesn't mean I haven't second guessed it a million and one times because of what I've seen in media, what I've heard from people, this glorification that has been set for the STEM field. So while it has been motivating and brought me out of my comfort zone, romanticizing certain study places, etc., I also have to check in with myself and my motivations toward studying and my study methods. I hope this helped set some perspective as to the different areas that you can romanticize and how it really impacts our learning and how it can unfortunately cause a maladaptive relationship with school. Please, 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 if you wouldn't mind, show some Instagram some love and share this with whoever. I don't know. I don't know. This has been really fun to research, really fun to record, and I have a lot more stuff coming your way. I hope you guys are loving the Instagram little doodads I've been posting, but if not, that's all for this week. I love everybody who listens. Thank you so much, and thank you for sitting and talking about everything all at once. I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.